You're listening to Kiss My Aesthetic, your go-to podcast for bragworthy branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co. Let's dive into the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. We've got a repeat guest today, Adelaide. Welcome back to the pod. Woo! I'm happy to be here. It's going to be fun today. Oh my gosh. We're going to have a great time, but first we're going to start with ASMR, a little ceremonious because we both are... What would you say? What core is this? This is like happy drink core? Yeah, like happy drink core, like heal my gut core, like try to like have regular bowel movements core. Yeah. (laughs) It's for the girlies. It's for the girlies. We're both drinking poppy today. We have an obsession. If you follow us on social media, I love this stuff. Adelaide loves this stuff. Wow, yours was not as... Oh, that's a good sound bite. Well, Cheers. cheers. Poppy, poppy. Cheers to that, Poppy. Sponsor us if you're seeing this. If you're hearing it. Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. But for anyone who doesn't know you or who doesn't follow you on social yet, doesn't know that you're also obsessed with Poppy, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and who you help? Yes, I am Adelaide Maddie from Alabama. I started my agency about six years ago, and I've just been just grinding for six years. Obviously, learned a lot along the way, going up, down, changing adding new people to the team, taking away people from the team, adding new services to the team, taking away services from the team. Basically, I view the past six years of me like tinkering with a like a vintage car and then like building it to be like a brand new version of itself. So been doing that mainly and our um, my agency is called AMD Creative. Like personally, I'm into a lot of different things. I'm into sewing, thrifting, like doing sewing, thrift flips. I'm like obsessed with working out, weightlifting, as well as just like overall mental health and well-being. And I think like my personal Instagram shows like a lot more of that side of things. And then the AMD Instagram shows a lot more of like my leadership as an agency owner to like a whole team of females. Oh my gosh, love it. Do you even remember how we got connected? I feel like we really got on each other's radar when I was in Bali, which would have been February, 2019. Yeah. Like, no, I really think what happened was we were both in that same, that Facebook group. Yes. The like, cause I used to religiously watch the toast. It was through the morning toast. Podcast. Yeah. We, I think we both watched it and then they put us into like a group. It was like branding toasters or something like that. I don't even know, but then you would post all the time. And I think I just followed you and then you followed back and then we just started chatting back and forth. And I feel like that was like probably like four, four or five years ago. And so we've never met, but like, I feel like we're friends. <laughs> totally. No, we're definitely friends. What are you talking about? No, we're definitely friends. And how old are you again? 29. Me. I'm six months younger than you. You're, I feel like we are right on the same trajectory oh, as for each sure. other. Like we've had to come up around the same time. I always looked up to you because of the way that you grew your team so fast. The team part really is impressive. I was, I actually was in the target parking lot today and I saw my professor from Alabama and he was like, Oh my God, Adelaide, you have like how many team members? And he was like, this is my wife introducing me to his wife. And his wife was like, Hey, nice to meet you. And he's like, she's the girl I'm always telling you about. Like she's the one who was hustling students and charging them $50 an hour in the library to teach them Adobe software. (laughs) We're the same person. We're the same person because I was that person in college that 
I was so frustrated that our department didn't have a lecture series. Yeah. So I made one. <laughs> so I started, I was like, you know what? We really need to have open studio nights and we really need to have lectures and we really need to have social events for the art department because otherwise, how are all these people going to get to know each other and get to know each other's work? And I was totally that person. So take us back to the beginning when you just started, like what was the fire under your butt to say like, I'm going to start my own thing? So my whole family, like almost all of them are entrepreneurs or at least not a full-time entrepreneur. Everyone in my family has some sort of side hustle. It's like you go to Christmas and you're like, what am I buying from who like this time? It's like everyone's always selling something. So the culture that I grew up in really, really shaped like that entire confidence around me of just like, you know, thinking about starting my own business. And like, I really did not think I was going to start my own business until a month before I did. It's like, I've always been that type of person that I'll think through things in my head. And then I'll ask people like core friends, like, what do you think about this? And they're like, Oh, that sounds crazy. Or like, usually if someone says like, that sounds crazy. Like, I don't know if you can do that. I'm like, Oh, too late. I filed for an LLC. Like we're doing it (laughs) because it's like, you know, you just kind of think of, and like, that's when I was younger, but like, I really think that it was my family shaped me into being a very confident young lady. And then also seeing that they're making money from having their own business. And then they also encouraged me like crazy. Like you have to have someone to tell you like, do it. And so my aunt, and my mom literally were like, you have to do this. Like you have to start your own business. You're already doing a tutoring business. What's this sell services instead of like sitting down and doing this tutoring stuff. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> it's so easy. Obviously, it was really hard, but that definitely was the driving force. Like, very, very supportive family. Do you feel like your family tells you what my family tells me all the time, which is you're already light years ahead of where we were at your age? Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, I'm from the South. So, like, being from the South, everyone's like, okay, you get married at 22, 23, and you start having babies. And, like, you're supposed to marry a guy who can provide for the whole family and like you don't really have to work or anything or maybe you can do like part-time somewhere. That's the culture down here. So it definitely is way different than not only my family who a lot of them are married and like with kids and stuff. It's like way different than all my peers because no one can comprehend it. So like meeting people like you, I'm just like, oh, someone gets me. (laughs) My people. Yeah, I also think that the way that you and I were able to learn things and even learn from each other is just an opportunity that's so unique to our generation of entrepreneurship, right? Of like, just the fact that you can follow someone who's offering similar services 10 states away and be able to kind of keep tabs and learn from each other and keep eyeballs on what's happening. Like the access to creators and to other entrepreneurs is so different than it was in our parents' generation. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's like, the comparison culture will kill a business. If you continuously stare at someone else's and think, oh, well, they did that. I can't believe they did that. Like I was going to do that. And then there's room for collaboration or at least like feeling inspired, like you put it a good way, feeling inspired from the other person. Be like, oh, well, I'm not like in competition with this person, but I am feeling inspired. I think it comes from like a really healthy mindset that you have to have as an entrepreneur, because if you're an insecure business owner and constantly looking at your competition, like you're not set up for success. I mean, I work with over 60 monthly clients through our network, but one client right now, their constant struggle is this person said they didn't like it. That person said they didn't like it. And I'm just like, stop, you gotta stop. And I literally like, I told them the other day, I'm gonna pull this, this text message up that I sent to them. 
it says, you're building a pyramid, not a skyscraper. And I said, haha, just came up with that. <laughs> because you have to have a strong base of a business and build upwards. But like, you know, skyscraper, they come up fast, they come up quick, there's not a lot of structure, you know, you can interfere with that. But like a pyramid, you know, it's like got a strong base of loyal followers. And then like, you're much better suited for success long term as a business. Do you find that this is the case with the social media projects you work on? Or do you think that this is also the case with branding where people are just unsure of themselves and they're pulling in everyone's opinions and they're trying to really get a, an understanding? Because I noticed this with some of our clients as well. It's like, we'll do the branding and they love it. And then they go to post it or they go to share it. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, maybe it should be different. And my whole driving force with them is like, we created this branding for you based on strategy and the strategy and the foundation like you're talking about is what allows us to be able to grow. But if you don't know who you are, why would anyone follow along? Yeah, exactly. That like, I feel like I am a brand designer with like a side of life coach. Yeah. And I'm sure you <laughs> feel like this way sometimes, which but like, that's totally fine. Like that's a part of the business that I actually really enjoy because you get to know your clients so well with doing brand projects for them. And like, I'm sure you feel this way. It's like when they succeed, it feels like a piece of you has succeeded because you put so much into it. Totally. It's just like, you want what's best for them. And I think it does, it requires a little bit of life coaching just to be like, no, because I had one lady recently, I did her logo and then she came back and said, well, I met with this interior designer. She said the logo needs to be different. I said, no, it doesn't. I said, you're not changing that. Right. We're not changing that. Just because the logo doesn't fit her level of interior designer, it's like she needs to figure it out. <laughs> well, and it's getting to the why. It's getting to the why. Like if you ask a thousand people, you get a thousand opinions. And I think with creative work in general, there's a tendency to want to ask everyone's opinion. And what I have to keep coming back to with my clients is like, there's no 100% right answer. There's never going to be a 100% right answer. Because if you lean a little more this way, you lean a little more that way, like, you're never going to please 100% of the people 100% of the time. So it's, it's so much more. And I think that's what you're talking about with this life coaching aspect. It's about really getting at the core of like, who you are, what you do, who you're trying to help, which is how we kick off every podcast episode that really is going to set the stage for what it should look like. Because then our job as designers and creatives are to take that material and then create the visuals, right? Like implement the visuals that communicate those attributes. And if your attributes are my ideal client is everyone, the hell the heck are you supposed to talk to everyone all at once? Yeah, that is the best point you could have made. And I just, I really, really love getting to know the clients because I feel like as much as like it is their target market. The brand does have to feel like an iteration of them in a way. Like it has to feel something, you know, a piece of them. Mm -hmm. And so I love doing like the little like, you know, nods to who they are as a person, because then that makes them feel more confident. Be like, oh, I can get behind this. Like, this is like, you know, I like, I want it. And I just, you know, it really is the life coach part <laughs> to the brand. Side. Yeah. Walk us through your actual like services. Like these are your proposal. When somebody contacts you, like, what services are you offering? And I do this with my team. We share happies and crappies. <laughs> share with me the happiest part of that process and sometimes the crappiest part of that process. Absolutely. I think this will be fun. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, this is my sixth year in business. The services, when I first started, I said, I offer everything. And I'm like, this is the worst idea ever. Of course. And so now I, in like in the past few years, I said, we're only doing three major things. And so that's, brand designs, website designs, 
and social media management. And under that always falls, you know, photo shoot or content creation that goes with the social media management. But like the overarching three things are brand designs, website design, social media management. That's it. And of course, we do like graphic design projects on the side and stuff like that. But you know, that those are just like from past clients or whatever. But any new clients, those are the services we sell. And so like the happiest part of that is when a client comes in and they say, I have no logo, mm-hmm. right? Like that's like my sweet spot. They say, I have no logo at all. I have a name. I usually like when they have names already and they have a business plan, that's definitely great. And then that's definitely the happiest part because then we can take them through the entire journey of all three services. So like starting with the logo design, do all the brand design stuff, get them a brand guideline book, get all of any sort of like collateral that they need and then turn that into a website design and then set up their social media pages and start doing content for them. So like, that's like the flow that makes me happy. The crappiest part is when someone comes to us either like in like a merger or like a new business. I'd say like my worst case scenario is two completely different companies like doing a merger or like four different business partners trying to figure out a new logo. And so it's like too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, it's just a lot. And I think like figuring out just either even just like one point of contact, because the recent project we had, we had six different points of contact. And like they all thought they were the number one point of contact. And so it just leaves so much room for misinterpretation, like miscommunication. And so trying to avoid that with any new projects, but overall, like, the no logo, like those are like my green flags. Like they've come to like, we have no logo. We need help with everything. I'm like, let's go. We got you. (laughs) Hop on. Great. What are some of the highs and lows of the website design experience? Because I don't offer websites anymore. And I'm so (laughs) glad that I don't because man, that for me was a service that really took it all out of me. And I loved the ideation and the design portion, of course. Like I love seeing it all come together. I can do layouts till I'm blue in the face. But the actual implementation and then the worst part was when somebody's buttons wouldn't work or their landing page wouldn't load or the text was messed up or it didn't look good on mobile. And all of a sudden there's a fire drill and your whole day gets restructured to like rescue someone's website. Is that similar what's going on with you guys or do you have a better process for managing those kind of requests? So you might like this for you. You might be open to it. So basically what we do is when someone comes to us, we say... We're only building on Squarespace. That's it. Because our end goal is to build a site that is gorgeous and is on brand and everything. But by the end of it, we're adding whoever is the marketing person at that place or the owner. We're adding them on as a admin to that Squarespace website. And then we're training them on how to edit it. So once we build the website, like that obviously it takes usually anywhere from like six to eight weeks to do. But once we're building the website, like we're sending it off to them to edit from there. If they need anything, they can come back like if they can't figure something out. But we train them so that they know how to edit it. Right. Because I feel like the biggest part of websites that suck is having to manage either like their domains or their hosting or like continuously having to go back in and edit stuff for them monthly and having to build like 0.5 of an hour, you know, stuff like that. But the whole Squarespace design, like what we do is have like an information dump when they first come to us. So they give us all of the content, all of their service lists, their about, their bios. Then we give it to our copywriter. She completely rewrites it. The designers then design the site. 
we have a Zoom presentation of that. They send us all their edits. And then from there, we finish it up and then train them on how to edit it. Love that. It makes it a lot less painful. And if it's not you designing it, then it makes it a lot better because I'm not designing websites. (laughs) You're not personally designing the websites. I think this is a good distinction because I think as your agency grows and as yours has grown and mine has grown, you kind of evolve past being the person that's doing all the work to the person that then oversees all the work. So walk us through what that shift looked like for you. And how do you self-describe your role within your own agency? You know, I will say this. I had trouble pulling myself out of doing the work because that is my like favorite thing. I love to go down to like a creative spiral and just like sit in the same spot for seven hours and crank something out. But that's just not a way to grow the agency at all because I would be sitting at that desk forever by myself (laughs) if I continued to do that. I think it comes down to like training your staff really, really well and making them feel super confident about and like offloading everything that's in my brain needs to be in everyone else's brain. The little things like this is what happens when a client is talking to you this way. This is how you're going to respond to that. This is how we're going to do this. Anyway, I would describe my role in the agency as the cruise ship director. Okay. Like cruise ship captain. <laughs> like we're all on a boat. I'm steering the boat. I'm telling who can come on, who's going off. I'm telling us where we're going. I tell you the schedule, what's going on. Like, and I also like frequently refer to myself as a camp counselor because I was a camp counselor. And so it's like, you kind of have to get people excited. It's like, here we're going. We're going to this next part. Got it. I do a lot of the business development and recently just promoted one of my employees to business development because she loves doing it. Nice. And so she's helping me with that kind of stuff. So I handle like all of the invoicing, the admin stuff. And then I usually take on anywhere from like one to two projects a year, like a year. Okay. Wow. Okay. So this is very different because I'm very much that person that's like, I have my team members. They're super skilled. They're super talented at what they do, but there's things I'm still not willing to give up yet, which is the initial logo design. And then the client conversations. I really like driving the bus on the client conversations and driving the direction. So my role has kind of evolved to creative director, project manager, but now my freaking calendar is getting absolutely cannibalized by calls. Yeah. And I literally just had to tell my team today, like, Cody, can you block off my Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Because I cannot take Monday, Wednesday, Friday calls anymore. Because it's the, it uses a totally different part of your brain. And maybe you feel this, like there is a creative aspect of business ownership, but that when you're going from talking to people all day, and then you have to try to switch into a design brain, I have to give myself a buffer. I got to listen to a podcast. I got to go for a walk. I got to go to the gym. Like, I've got to find that break because that transition is really like clunky for me. Do you have that feeling also? Yeah. Well, it's like left brain to right brain. You can't. (laughs) Totally. And like both of us definitely have aspects or strengths in the left brain or the, uh, the right brain, but I'm so much more comfortable in that right brain flow. Like I just feel like I get energized from being in the right brain like sitting down, drawing, like I get more energy that way. If I go to my left side, I'm like, all right, I need a fun drink, coffee, again, (laughs) (laughs) like I need something to get me there. And I need multiple levels of stimulation, whether that be like, you know, looking outside, seeing outside or like going on a walk or hearing music to like get me. So yes. Yeah, it's tricky. It's also tricky because I'm very much like a work in sprints person. And I think that that's what I figured out about myself. Like the longer I've run this business is 
I love a finish line and it's not even totally client related, but it's like personal goals wise. So like I'm about to leave for my birthday trip by the time we're recording this. And to me, I'm like, I'm going to get as much work done as humanly possible so that by the time I leave, I'm like, whoa, like, here we go. Right. Yeah. Like that. I feel free about it in a weird way, which has been an interesting flow because it kind of goes against what we're taught in school or how we're brought up about having a career of like, oh, you clock in, clock out. And I have to give myself grace sometimes. And also my sister, who's an entrepreneur, and tell her, yeah, we're clocking 40-hour work weeks, but we have to remember, like, we are also have to maintain your mental health, your house, your friendships, your relationships, your dog that you have, and just like giving yourself a mental break. Like we're clocking in way more than 40 hours a week, if you consider that. And that the 40-hour work week structure is configured knowing that you have help. Yeah. That you get help right? Like that you have help with the laundry and the dishes and the cooking and the sharing the responsibilities and to not be so hard on ourselves to try to be so maximum productive all the time. There's fun in that, but then there's also sometimes like a resistance to wanting a more slow go at it. And I know you had like a big European summer last summer is what's making me think of all of this. Yeah. How do you feel like you measure out or give yourself breaks? Like, are you month on month off? Do you like really cherish your weekends? Like where are you finding those pockets to kind of recharge your batteries? Yeah. The trend on TikTok of girl bossing too close to the sun uh-huh. really hit home, really hit a spot for me. I'm sure you felt that way as well. I think that culture, I'm definitely going to answer your question, but this is a side note. That culture of girl bossing and like all this stuff, it's just not sustainable, but like, I also have to give myself grace too, because I work probably 20 times faster than like the average brain. It's just like the unmedicated ADHD brain. It's like you can do seven things at one time and get them all done in like in the amount of time it would have taken me to do them one at a time. So it's like finding the balance. And so, yeah, no, my weekends are so chill. Like I lead a team and like, that's my priority as well as running the agency. But the weekends, I'm usually just completely unplugged and like either going out on hikes or like taking trips. I like to completely, I've gotten really good at it too, because I can completely check out. I owe that to the traveling. Like I really do. One of my friends, they were like doing full-time nomad living. And I think like from that, it showed me like, oh my gosh, what if I did this all the time? I was like, I don't think I want to do it all the time. I do like having a home base. I really do. So obviously Alabama is my home base, but these like two week stints, they save me and like feed my soul and creativity. Like I'll go two weeks in Mexico or two weeks in Portugal and live like in the nomad village and meet all these crazy people, hear their stories. And it's so energizing. So then I come back and I'm like, I feel so happy. I feel so energized. I feel like I like appreciate my home more. And I also feel like I have more creativity to share. Like I'm just, I love it. I think it's important to get away. And entrepreneurship can be very isolating for as much as you have a team and you've got family that can support you. There's really not always like a support system that you can tell all of like the no (laughs) complicated, sticky employee drama or client drama or things that just are not social media appropriate. Right. Yeah. So having that, I noticed that too, when I travel and especially when I, cause I've done both too, right. I've had a home base. I've also done full-time travel. I've also done like a 50, 50 situation. And it does, I totally resonate with you on that. Like the traveling is super invigorating. It gets you out of your routine. 
you get so much more inspired by things that you otherwise would pass over. You're going to take your time at a coffee shop. You're going to try foods you haven't tried. You're going to make reservations at a place and go out of your way instead of just like shoveling chicken and rice in your mouth at nine o'clock at night, which is what happens here. Relatable. (laughs) You know? So there's that balance. But I'm interested because I've been getting a lot of DMs about it recently. People who are at this tipping point or this plateau of knowing that they need to hire their first team members and they're feeling stuck or they're feeling like, I don't know who to hire and how and where. And I think also this whole landscape has changed so much, even since we both started our businesses. What advice would you give to someone who wants to go from solopreneur or freelancer into that next level, like who they should look for and and where they should find them? I would say hire the person that is going to love doing the job you hate doing. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. That's it. Like literally the end. If you're feeling like not confident enough to hire someone, start them as a part-time person, start them as an intern. And that way you can kind of feel out if they're going to be a good fit for you. And like, I learned so much just by, I was hiring my first person after six months of starting my business. It's wild. And it was terrifying. Cause I was like, this is someone's life. Like they're relying on me for money. Now I'm like, all right, we're good. Like it doesn't affect me the way it used to, but it's just like, you got to hire someone of course, for the job that you don't like doing. And also is going to not take away or add more time to your schedule. You know, you don't need to add any more responsibility. So I've had that issue too. You hire someone and then you have to manage them. You're wasting double the amount of time because it's just, you know, totally. Yeah. But Intern. I would start them as an intern or like even a part-time person, depending on their experience level. Absolutely. Yeah. I had the opposite experience. It took me eight and a half, almost nine years to hire a full-time employee. (laughs) So so we have Madison. I can't believe that. Yes. I would have never known. I would have thought you, like you by yourself, I would have thought you had a team of 20 people. Like I wouldn't have ever known. Well, that's a compliment. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. It's just, I just don't sleep. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, it's a hard thing because it's a trust thing. It's a, I've watched my parents hire and fire and rehire employees for 20 years. And it was always a thing that I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no thanks, not interested. Like, "Mm mm-mm, sounds terrible. I don't, for all those reasons you just said, I'm now responsible for someone's livelihood. I don't want to promise that I can secure that much income because that can be a huge part of it. I'm also in California. That's a really big deal. Like employment law is not so friendly to employers in California. So It was just like intimidating the crap out of me. And then it got to a point where I'm like, you know what? There's so much work. There's only so many hours that I have. And there's so much work that could get done if I had more help. Yeah. And I ran out of people power. And so having Madison on full time has been great because she's super happy. She's got a huge like workload. She's tuned in. She's ready to rock every single day. It makes it motivates me to be ready to rock every single day. And then we're just leveling up together. But it is that weird like tipping point of not knowing what to do. But I feel like now that I've hired one person, the next ones are going to come much faster. (laughs) Yeah. It's like what they say about getting a tattoo, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You got one. I mean, I'd validate those feelings because it was terrifying. And I messed up so many times hiring someone or like not communicating what exactly their role would be. And then they come in and feel like, oh, well, this wasn't what I expected. Mm. There was so many times the first year where I felt I did a horrible job. But like, I am one of those people that like, I have to kind of fail my way through it to get to the other side. I can only try to do as much as I can and try to set as much expectations. But now I mean, I have people who've been with me for five years, and they love it. So it's like, 
also about empowering those employees and making them feel like they have ownership over the work that they're doing and like some sort of not actual like piece of the business, but they have some sort of say of what's going on. I feel like that has been huge to like retaining people because they need to feel empowered and they need to feel appreciated. So what are some ways that you do that with your team? So if I have a big decision that I have to make, like not regarding the business, maybe for a client or maybe like, this is a great example, finding different things that I feel like they can own and giving them full reign over it. Mm. So like one girl who works for me, Anna, she loves throwing events. So we started an offshoot of AMD called Jetty. So like Jetty is the place where people come to meet, you know, like all the fish because we're ocean brand, make waves. Mm -hmm. So like all the fish come to meet and it's like the most diverse place. And so we're like, let's call it Jetty. She's in charge of that. And she's in charge of doing all the planning for it, securing the venue, securing you know, any sort of vendors for the party and then coming up with a theme, coming up with the graphics, promoting it. And it like, it's so empowering for her. Cause then when you go to the event and I'm the first to say, this looks awesome. It's all because of Anna. And I think ego taking your ego and just throwing it out the window and just saying, Anna did this, like she killed it. She did the entire thing. Look how great she is and pushing her out there and making her feel like, Oh, I did do that. It only gives them more confidence. And then the more confidence they have, the less you have to, I mean, obviously still want to manage and make sure they feel whatever, but the less you have to fear, you know, they're also growing with you. Yeah. I use this analogy a lot with my team. I kind of talk about it. Like if I'm driving the crazy train, like all these cars that are following me, we got to stay on the tracks here because if you're back on car nine and your wheels are falling off, like you need to tell me because that's going to impact the rest of the train. If I can't come back there and fix it with you, like first I need you to try to fix it yourself. And if you can't fix it yourself, flag me down. Let's stop. Let's fix the wheels on your train car so that this doesn't take the whole train off the tracks, right? Because we all have to kind of be working together, but I can't go very far or very fast if the cars are always breaking down. Yeah. That is great. So we got to make sure that we know what we're doing. We know where we're going so that we can go fast and we can go far. Yeah. Because we can't do those two things if I'm constantly in repair mode, right? So that's kind of like how I've worked it out with them. But I think you're right. And I think that one of the biggest blessings of running a team as an entrepreneur in the year 2023 is we have a really clear say in how we want workplaces to look. Mm -hmm. Like there's kind of a rebelliousness of kind of throwing out the status quo and creating the kind of agency that you want people to be a part of, creating the kind of team that you want people to be a part of. Be like, dang, I'd love to work there. Like they've really got it going on. And I think that that's also something that's been, I couldn't anticipate how much of a blessing that's been for my own motivation and saying like, no, this gets to be whatever we say it is. Yeah. You make the rules. Do you have those moments too? Oh yeah. Literally. We are all very friendly, high energy women at the office. And we realized that we talk too much. And we talk so much that we all decided as a collective that Wednesdays would be forever work from wherever Wednesdays. Mm. That we could separate, be remote, work remote, and have some time to like just fully dive in on what we're trying to accomplish that week. Because there is a lot of, everyone talks a lot. And so... (laughs) We're always like collaborating and listening to music and like, it's awesome. But I think these Wednesdays have saved us just because we can like super focus on what needs to get done. Yeah. I think another role of ours similar to you is like staying really in tune with 
where things are heading. Like I was just saying about kind of the work remote aspect, I think is something my whole team is remote. We're not in person, but I think the work remote aspect is something that people now because of the pandemic, it's like part of their checkbox of a new business that they want to work with. is like, is it a remote opportunity? I think that's a super solid initiative. I think one of the other things that you and I do just by factor of doing our jobs is like, we have to stay in tune with trends. Yeah. We have to stay up to date with like, where is this space going? Where's branding going? Where's marketing going? What's kind of floating around? And how do we either, to use your puns, ride that wave or decide to sit it out and be like, nope, I'm going to wait this one out. What are your just recent thoughts, feelings, trends that you're noticing, things that are getting you excited that you think people should either pay attention to or look more into for their business or brand? Yeah, specifically the branding trend that I like right now is a hand-drawn logo. And I know you love a good hand-drawn logo. I love the authenticity that it brings to a brand, like even more like bubbly letters. Like I think that's a really cool trend that I think some businesses should hop on, like depending on what they're trying to do. I think as far as like work trends, I know you've seen this because I know you've done it. I think company retreats are huge. Yeah, huge. And I think these brand trips, location, like bringing in different brands, sponsors, all that kind of stuff is huge because it gets to showcase so many sides of our expertise. It's like the planning aspects, like, okay, these girls know what they're doing. They have their shit together. Okay. They know how to style and like place objects for content. Okay. They actually know how to pair two brands together. So like brand blends, I think the content trips are huge. And I think there's going to be a sea of new brands, like the Tarte, the Trippin' with Tarte one, that was crazy. And the way they're like authentically showcasing their brands, they don't even pay for billboards. I feel like they just like threw all of their marketing budget into doing this brand trip. And I think it's huge because it's real. And like they're on the trip with the CEO. Right. Like (laughs) that's crazy. Yeah, I think that's definitely the future of things because in the way that things are getting more digital and more computer at the same time, the in-person stuff has to grow. So for anyone that gets freaked out about AI or any of this stuff, I keep reminding them that like, number one, it's a pendulum. So it's going to swing one way and it's going to swing the other. But these two things can grow on parallel tracks, right? Like you can have an optimized workflow and bust out a blog post in 40 seconds with ChatGPT. But what are you gaining by not writing that blog post? You're getting your time. That means you can go sit at a cafe in Costa Rica and be taking in all this information and get inspired to then be able to prompt engineer better content from the robot. Like I'm very all for that. And I think you're right with these brand trip things is because it is this perfect marriage of all of these things that we're telling our consumer we want them to do, which is use the product in real life. And how do you capture that aspect and how do you portray that through social? I think the brands that are amiss or that aren't catching on in a social media way are the ones that still think they have to do fully produced photo shoots every quarter. Yeah. I don't think you do. Mm-mm. I think you need great e-com photos, but your e-com photos are e-com photos. Your e-com photos are not social. Your social media is meant to be social. Like it's meant to showcase what the actual brand experience is and what that is like for your audience and not so much to just show a beautiful gallery because people can get that from your website. What do you think about all that stuff? Oh my gosh, RT, our retweet a thousand times because I look at all the content that we create for brands and stuff. It's like you need to create the type of content on your social media that the consumer can picture themselves in that setting. 
like that, like so easily. I think overly done, you know, campaigns are great for like the luxury market, like high fashion, jewelry, that kind of stuff. But if you're like a e-commerce brand, like absolutely your content on social media does not need to be overdone. I think we're seeing a huge trend of taking this overstyled, over-edited, the Kardashian perfect look. I see that trending into, you like you see apps like the Be Real app, right? That is benefiting from being authentic to yourself and like showing your real self. I feel like we're seeing trends into that. And I think that goes hand in hand with the type of marketing that we create for our clients. So like, again, just very in the moment, in the scene of where the consumer is going to see that product. Like that's what you need to be creating. Yeah. And I think interestingly, and it feels counterintuitive to what you just said, as far as like being real, being realistic, it's about the brand's hosting space for people to create that kind of content. So think about like Sophia Richie's wedding, right? That thing was designed a top down, forward, backwards, upside down, all around. And these brand trips and the leveling up their parties, everything for my birthday party, like it's over the top. But in an interesting way, it's over the top because it's doing something in a space that's not typically done. So I'm not inviting influencers on this trip. These are my friends. These are real people. And we're giving, I think it's about, if I were a brand trying to reach an audience, I'd want every single person who is a consumer of my brand to feel like they could access that VIP level of attention to detail Mm -hmm. and consideration and care for the consumer where they felt like because they were part of this community, then got all the perks, not just the quality product and not just the great packaging and the great design, but that they felt like they actually had a participating force and like they were regarded as the content creator of that brand. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. That is like the perfect way of saying that like, you know, you have the eye for things. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just have the eye. You just like, I always say this, my mom always used this phrase, but it's like, she just gets it. Like she just gets it. You know how to like pull everything together, shoot it. Okay. It's like this client, potential new client, hopefully signing this week. Yay. She was telling me about how her previous agency, they had a model come without a manicure. And she said that they didn't understand that it was a problem. It's like, okay, well, during close-up shots of jewelry rings on your hand. Of course. You have to have a manicure. That's just like the little details that can make or break. And I feel like the girls who get it, get it, literally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting, the layers of content, like you're saying, because I think that there's an assumption that you have to have like the top gear, the top produced, whatever. Like I'm doing this myself. I'm getting ready to pack for my trip to Italy. And I brought out my huge bin of all the old cameras, video cameras, gimbals, drones, projectors, all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what is going to perform the best? iPhone clips. I literally, I already know. Literally. I already know. Like, am I going to charge my GoPro anyway? Probably. Am I going to bring it? Maybe. But like the process of getting it, because you know what it's doing? It's creating more distance between the creator and the consumer. And the whole point of social media is to shorten that distance as much as humanly possible. This is why live streams are so successful. This is why iPhone content stories, because you want to, in the best way you can possible, shorten the distance. And we used to talk about this all the time in when I was studying at USD when I was studying fine arts was new media was very much focused on bringing the distance between the final product and the artist closer together. And that's a lot of the focus of contemporary art, because when you go to a museum, the reason people don't like it to see like the masters 
is because it's old. They don't know what it's about. They don't know how it was made. They don't know why it was made. They don't know for who it was made. And a lot of times it wasn't made to be in a museum setting in the first place. It was created to be in someone's private residence, right? So you're missing all those context clues. So as creators today and brands today, I feel like the biggest thing we can do is bring the people as close to the product as possible. Yeah. So sharing behind the scenes, sharing time lapses, doing things that show someone what it's looked like. And I think that's why my TikTok live has been as successful as it has. It's like, it feels like you're just watching it over the top of my shoulder. Like, yeah, that's just me with my glass of wine and my dog's tail wagging in the background. And like, that's what it would be like if you were sitting here side by side watching me design this logo. Yes. So I think that considering that and shortening that distance between the content and the consumer would kind of be probably my biggest recommendation. Oh, for sure. And you've inspired me. Like I've been telling my girls, I'm like, we got to get you like, you know, that TikTok thing. It's like, you got to get on your zoom. You got to get on your zoom. It's like the new trending audio. Mm -hmm. I'm like, we have to get on our zoom. We got to get, we got to show more of our faces, all this stuff. We get so wrapped up in the work and like getting in our routine. I'm like, let's try going live. Let's do some videos of us explaining things. Like, let's do it. So I love watching your lives. I'm always like in the bathtub scrolling. And then I see your live and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna happen. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things that what you think is boring is interesting to someone else. And it's definitely interesting to the person who wants to pay you money to do it for them. Yeah. So thinking about it that way too, like even if it's the most mundane caption writing, whatever, like I'll pop up on live, first of all, because I get paid to go live. So that's already level number one. It's like, I mean, $2, whatever here and there, but it does add up over time. That's the first thing. Second thing is an audience growth tactic. So I can go on live for TikTok for two hours and get a thousand pairs of eyeballs on my work. Mm -hmm. There's no other social platform that allows me to do that in the amount of time for an unproduced piece of content. Yeah. For a piece of content that's purely a live stream. Like I haven't edited it. I didn't have to write a caption. I didn't have to set it to music. Like the reel I posted yesterday took an ungodly amount of time, <laughs> like a stupid <laughs> amount of time. And I'm like, I can't believe I just spent this much time on a, a clip that's 38 seconds long. Like this is silly. So if you're finding yourself as that content creator or that person that's getting bogged down and creating, just do what you do. Because once you do the live stream, you can export that baby and make a million pieces of content out of it. Yeah. You can strip the audio. You can set it to time lapse. You can cut it into different things. You can now, TikTok will now automatically give you your clips based on the top viewership. Ooh. And it literally will come up in a way that you can just go, whoop, post. Heck yeah. So that's my biggest recommendation too, is like brands, like bring the people in. Even if you think it's boring, someone will find it interesting just by the fact that you're sharing it. Amen. Amen to that. This is my recent soapbox. Can you tell? This is the thing I've been telling all the clients this week is like, I don't want you to do anything. I don't need you to take pictures. I don't need you to go out of the way. I just want you to get on the live and tell people what you've been doing. Give us a run through of your week. Show us something that you've got in the works. Take us behind the scenes. Like, because that piece of content alone will be so insightful because imagine it's six months from now. And then the thing that you were showing us the behind the scenes of is finally built. Yeah. And now we've got that content and this content. And we can mash it together, you know? So much content. I love it. I think your soapbox is so warranted because <laughs> I think I saw a TikTok. You were like, or no, it was your story. You're like explaining edit the steps you just said. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. just do it. Yep. Just do it. I'm so excited because I just hired two new ladies who start next week. I'm going to train them and then I'll get to go live. I'll get to do more things. I'm so excited. Yay. 
Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see you go live more. I think it really does kind of pull the people that were the looky lose. It pulls them in. And that's really like the amount of clients that come through my contact form that say, oh yeah, I started following you and then I started watching your lives. And like, now I know I want to work with you and nobody else. Like, great. I didn't even know that I was on a sales call. <laughs> You're like, easy sell. Here we go. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Well, without taking any more of your time, do you have any other parting wisdom that you'd like to share with the listeners? Parting wisdom. This comes to be more like business advice, like to being an entrepreneur. If you're an entrepreneur out there and you're having issues with like acceptance or imposter syndrome, whatever that is, I think the more that you work on your self-confidence, the better your business will be. Ooh. And I think if you are self-confident in your day-to-day life, appearance, whatever, you know, who you are as a person, you're going to be more successful. Ooh, it's going to translate. And that loops back. That's a great callback to what we talked about at the beginning of the episode, Yeah, which is if you as a brand know who you are, what you do and what you have to offer, and you're confident about it, and you're not being swayed and you're not changing your services every three months and you're not rebranding yourself every year, like you're going to have more success by like leaning into your own ideas. Oh yeah. You heard it here first. Love it. I feel like that was the poppy talking though. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, it was the go-go juice, wasn't it? This was the go-go juice of this episode. So fun. For everyone who wants to find you, follow you and stay tuned for the secret project that you and I are working on without spilling it. But Adelaide and I are working on something special, which will hopefully come to fruition around November. But where can everyone find you, follow you and contact you if they want to work with you? Yes. So our website is just amdbirmingham.com. And then Instagram is amdcreative.co. And then my personal account is just Adelaide the Creator. Love it. Where I create content for myself. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Have you started leveraging brand deals on your personal account? Oh, yeah. Love it. Literally, I am going to be posting on TikTok at least five more times a week. Because like, I mean, I'm funny, right? So like, I'm going to be posting on just my personal account. My long-term plan is to get like travel sponsorships. Yeah. Like go and stay at hotels and like go create content for them at hotels, like as Adelaide. But then also like, you know, I saw your Half Moon Bay pitch, like do that as well. Like go and try to get brands. You want to know the most heartbreaking thing about that? Let's hear it. They basically wrote me back and said, we already have a marketing department. And I was like, okay, bye. You're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't actually work that hard at all. I AI generated that presentation actually. You know, I was talking with my sister about it and I said, I have no hard feelings about that because that content on its own, I think really pushed me to level up my pitching process in general. And now with clients that are these bigger projects that are 50,000, 60,000, 80,000, $100,000 projects, like, they need that level of attention to detail. Like they want to see the creative ideas from the get. Like let's not gatekeep it till when they've signed the contract and gotten the proposal in and everything like that. I think that's a way of playing small. And if I want to go for these, you know, RFQs and these big projects that for major hotel groups and major hospitality brands, like I got to show them the, the secret sauce and I got to come out swinging with, this is where I think this could go. And this is just the beginning. So yes. In a weird way, it worked out. But yeah, I was a little heartbroken. And now that every time I see that logo, I'm, it's still going to hurt me a little bit. But it was great content for social media. So, you know, it all works out. It was so fun. Like, I love a creative spiral. And I like was watching it. I was like, oh, I love this so much. It was so fun to watch. 
And like, yeah, no, everything leads to something. So like, if you're in your intuition, and you like feel like strongly enough, and like, you're confident about it, even if it's not the outcome you thought it was going to be, it's still going to lead to something. Oh, yeah, you're going to learn something from it. And I think that that's to not get too comfortable in the idea of thinking that all your projects are just going to come to you is also a great lesson of like, Mm -hmm. making sure that you're still flexing your creative muscles and doing things that get you charged up. Because that really is the thing that's going to dip us more into hospitality. It's like, if I want to get into the hospitality niche, I got to show hospitality projects. And whether they're real or not, Mm -hmm. I got to show I'm willing and able to take on that scope of work. So, you know, it wasn't for not. No, it was awesome. I think, you know, who knows? They're going to come back and they're going to be like, oh, wait, (laughs) who knows? Maybe, but I think it's such an interesting industry. Maybe that's like topic for another episode. But yeah, the hospitality space is fascinating because it's almost, it's not even that you need to get in with the hotel. It's that you need to get in with the development group that manages the hotel. Yeah. And so now a lot of my focus is like, how do I get myself in those rooms? How do I get myself in those conversations? And the reality is a lot of those people are much older. They're way more old school and they move slow. They're not with the millennial experience of traveling or the Gen Z experience of traveling. We're like, we want to, this is exactly our point. Shorten the distance between the actual experience and the consumer. I want to be able to go to a hotel's Instagram and know what every single type of room looks like from a room tour on a reel. Yep. I don't want to just see your glossy photos on your website. I don't want to just see portfolio level photos. I want to see a video tour saying, hi, I'm so-and-so and I stayed at the junior suite and I've been all over this island and this is my favorite hotel to come back to and here's why. Yep. That would seal the deal. That's really it. No, I love it. <laughs> and now, no, you got it. You know, okay. So one more lesson. I know we're, you're about to leave for your Italy trip and I'm so excited. Can't wait to watch the content. One more point that has been my recent like realization is that these older people that you're talking about, the people who are old school, you got to do it the old school way. So I'm going to these networking events, like going to bring business cards, going to talk about who I know and how I know them. And then say, let me take you out to lunch. Like you're going to be doing some wheeling and dealing to get in with those groups because I'm headed to open a new market. So that's super exciting. Nice. And yeah, it's going to take a little bit of the old school elbow grease. So I'm, I'm actually excited. <laughs> oh, I love to see that. I can't wait to see that come to fruition. Thank you so much for your time. I don't mean to take up more of your day today, but I know that everyone's going to appreciate this episode. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Have so much fun. Yay. Oh my gosh. Thank you. And we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Don't forget to follow along and leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll see you in the Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group for years and years of behind the scenes content and over 5,000 connections with fellow creatives. For show notes from today's episode, please visit mkwcreative.co slash podcast. This episode was edited by Berta Wired and theme music comes from Eliza Vera and Nathan Menard. Catch you next time.